And are you a feminist, I guess? My thinking has really evolved on this because I, I never felt like I had a good answer. and I, and I But I think now, finally, having really looked at the whole picture. Welcome to Lubecast, where we cover all things faith, culture, and politics. This is a special interview edition, and I have with us today Carrie Gress. She is a scholar at the Institute for Human Ecology at the Catholic University of America, my alma mater, so yay, and a fellow at Ethics and Public Policy Center. Gress is also the editor of the online women's magazine, theologyofhome.com. I will leave a link in the show notes to that. Check it out. It's beautiful. She has a doctorate in philosophy from the Catholic University of America and is the author of several books. Her latest is coming out this month, The End of Woman, How Smashing the Patriarchy Destroyed Us. And my favorite little tidbit, she's a homeschooling mother of five as well, and they live in Virginia. So Carrie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. All right. So The End of Woman, I read it. I just finished it last night, and it's a great read. It's it's astonishing. So if you could just share with us sort of your central thesis, elevator pitch summary, and then we'll dig into it a little bit. Yeah. So the book is really a hard look at, at feminism and just a um, to, to focus on how it really was an ideology from the beginning. And um, basically asking the question, how do we make women like men? And um, we're seeing the natural progression of that now with the trans movement. Um, so we, the book sort of steps all the way. It starts with the, what people would consider the earliest days of feminism, the late ni- uh, excuse me, 1790s, and then ends with the, the trans movement. And it kind of chronicles uh, all the steps in between that have led us to this point where you know we can't really define what a woman is, and we have a lot of confusion about gender, and um, and we're actually trying to transition women's bodies into male bodies. So um, I I think that's probably the the quickest summary I could give about it. Yeah, that's great. And I think one of the interesting things for me with that sort of you're tracing that history is that when you say going back to the earliest stages of feminism, you know, as an American high school student in the 90s, I learned that the earliest stages of feminism were, you know, Susan B. Anthony and the suffragettes. But you really dig all the way back to Mary Wollstonecraft and some have argued that the early feminists, so quote unquote feminists, those those first writers of women's liberation and rights, they were more interested in just allowing women to be women and men to be men and helping men be more virtuous. But you really dug into the that early, early past. And did you find anything surprising um, as you were reading those early women? Yeah, no, I found actually... Almost all of it really surprising because I too, you know, I, I wrote this book called The Anti Mary Exposed, and the research for that really stopped in the nineteen or the farthest back I went to was the nineteen sixties. I was really looking at the second wave of feminism, and I had always been told that, you know, feminism there was sort of this pure form of it in the first wave, and that um, it had been really uh, been hijacked. And anyway, I thought, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to look back at this earlier stuff just to see what's there. I, you know, I expected something very lovely. I, you know, I didn't know what I expected, but I didn't expect to find what I found. And um, part, much of that was just the, the amazing piece of, um, well, there are three elements that I found that were really animated it almost from the very beginning. Um, some of it's seen in Mary Wollstonecraft, but it's really picked up actually 
curiously by her son-in-law whom she she never met she, her her she died in childbirth with her daughter Mary and then Mary went on to marry um Percy Shelley um but it's Percy Shelley that really ran with these ideas and they the three concepts are um free love was one of them um Mary Wollstonecraft's own husband was a uh, William Godwin was probably one of the best known um free love um you know endorsers for his time period um, the Occult was another piece, and Percy Shelley was very involved in that. And then um, this idea of restructuring society so that basically what would become smashing the patriarchy, um, getting rid of hierarchies, getting rid of military and the church and all of those things, very masculine ways in which men gifts are expressed. Um, so that was the amazing thing to see this sort of congealed in Percy Shelley's work and then to sort of see throughout the 1800s, really, these ideas are picked up by um, certainly Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Um, Susan B. Anthony, actually, is really interesting to, to read her because, read about her because her one of her biographers actually spent four days burning her papers. So all of her letters and everything. So we know, um, you know, very little about her other than that she um, was really more of a mouthpiece for Elizabeth Cady Stanton, who had children and stayed home. And Susan B. Anthony was much more um, the voice of the the movement because she was single and she could travel and whatnot. Um, but they very much were involved with mediums and seances and um, the the free love movement tinged their work as well, which I go into the book. It's way too detailed to get into here. But um, anyway, we, so you just see this progression happening of, um, you know, these three elements sort of weaving in and out of the movement in, in different ways. And um, then, of course, we get to the 1900s and then um, communism and feminism really blended. Um, initially, they they did not get along well, but then I think there was this realization that communism wanted really the same things that feminism did. Um, feminism was using the occult, and they were using atheism. Um, but otherwise, that idea of free love and restructuring society really blended well. Um, and so we see a lot of that happening in the in the 1900s. So anyway, yeah, it was incredibly shocking to, to discover discover all of this because I think we have kind of this notion of you know much more Victorian pristine era and uh, you know certainly there were women that were like that but they're not the women that were head of the movement there were certainly women that had a better sense of what it was that they were fighting for and women as women um, but that's not really what most of them were were up to right it was shocking to me as I was reading through um, to to realize, because I think I had in my mind that early feminist movement, they were all about the sort of traditional sexuality that led to like the 1950s stereotype that we think of, which probably never existed, right? Um, really, except in some, maybe a few homes, but not widely. But the idea that free love was already sort of embedded in the structures of feminism and su the suffragette movement was was really fascinating. And I really appreciated how much you quoted the original sources too. So you were reading a lot of dark stuff to Very prepare dark. for this book. And I think that's why it hasn't, this book hasn't been written before because it's really hard to read that content. I mean, most of us don't want to spend our time doing that. So yeah, it's, there's a lot of darkness uh, in it for sure. Right. I wanted to ask you about that uh, connection with the occult because the way that you write about it in the book, it doesn't seem like, oh, they just happened to this was their spirituality or, you know, they were they were feminists who and they just happened to also share this, you know, occult thing. It seems like there's almost a causal relationship there. And I don't know if you could tell us a little bit about the role that the occult played in feminism. 
Um, so this, again, is where Percy Shelley comes into the picture. One of the things that was really prevalent in the 1800s was this idea of going back to the, the back to Genesis and basically rewriting Genesis so that Eve is no longer the culprit. Um, you know, she's no she's no longer the one who was tempted and fell. Um, but she it was given an opportunity in the garden. Like this is the rewriting of it to make it sound like this is where she acquired all of her wisdom and her knowledge and um, all of that. So that that is certainly one piece that Percy Shelley did. He took the works of Milton, actually, and sort of twisted them and read them in this very unique way. And then that got picked up um, by this this woman, um, Madame Blat- um, Blavatsky was her name. And she developed um, theosophy, which was this sort of blend of all these new age religions. And um, she apparently traveled the world. She was this Russian noblewoman that traveled to the United States, but also Tibet and was involved in voodoo and, you know, you name it, it was thrown into this cauldron of her ideas. And who should pick up those ideas but um, Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Um, And actually, she wrote this book called The Women's Bible. And um, there were several women that contributed to it. And Cady Stanton never came out overtly, I think, and said she was a theosophist. But many of the women that contributed to that women's Bible um, were and were very vocal about being theosophists. Um, you also see in that um, with Katie Stanton, the, you know, this was the height of the this great awakening in America, which actually was, um, you know, there's all these revivals and things that were happening, but most of them involved mediums um, because this was a time when, you, you know, the Civil War has just happened. Um, children are dying very early because of just natural causes and diseases. And um, People wanted to contact the dead. And so there was all of these seances happening and mediums were, uh, you know, at these fairs and at the um, the revivals. And it just was this common thing. And so this very much played into Katie Stanton's worldview and, her, you know, her own work, um, the, the spirit table that is actually now featured at the Smithsonian Museum was where seances were I will never so, look at it the same way. Yeah. You will never see the spirit table as that spirit. The, the table, you know, the spirit of woman or something. So yeah, it that uh, it, it's definitely prevalent um, in in the the bulk of it. And, and Shelley, of course, was also just very fascinated by the occult. Um, you know, his wife wrote Frank, Frankenstein, so there was this fascination with creation and bodies and science. And you know, even at some point, he was said to have, have spent the night in um, in a coffin, I guess, trying to conjure up demons or something. So anyway, yeah, it's there's a lot of color. Um, connected with the occult, certainly during that period. Yeah, it's fascinating. So let's talk a little bit about Catholic feminists. And are you a feminist? It kind of became fashionable. I think you and I are probably about the same age in the 90s and, you know, with the the feminine genius and all this um, to sort of translate that into, oh, well, we're Catholic feminists or a big group when I was in college, again, was feminists for life. And I wonder, sir, how do you see, is it, is it possible for Catholic women or is it wise for Catholic women to use that kind of language um, or does it maybe betray um, a confusion about what the feminist project actually is? And are you a feminist, I guess? <laughs> um, I'm not a feminist. Um, I've actually been called recently an anti-feminist. I'm oh. not sure if that either, but... Um, 
In any event, I, uh, you know, it's really, it's been interesting because I, my thinking has really evolved on this because I, I never felt like I had a good answer. And I, and, but I think now finally having really looked at the whole picture and seen just what an ideology feminism is and not just a like sort of side feminology, I mean, or ideology, it has been a deadly ideology. I mean, if you think, look at the numbers of abortions that have been a direct result from feminism. Um, it's one of the deadliest ideologies in the history of man. It's, you know, there's, we're projecting, the Guttmacher Institute is projecting something like 74 million abortions, 73 maybe for this year. But if you look at world population in, in 2022, 60, like something like 64 million people died worldwide from everything. So we're actually killing more children through abortion than people are dying of any other cause in the world. Um, I mean, these are huge numbers and the whole, and it's all mothers killing their own children, you know, which um, there are obviously mitigating reasons for it. And, you know, I'm not trying to like make anyone feel horrible, but what I think we have to recognize is that how did they twist it so that that bond between, between mother and child was, has become so corroded, um, in the mind of women. Um, so I think that it, it's actually quite dangerous. I, I understand what people are, are doing when they're trying to use it. Um, I understand that there are incredible, you know, John Paul II, obviously, I've written books about him. I wrote my master's thesis on him, you know, uh, all of that. I, um, you know, I have a tremendous esteem for him. But I think ultimately feminism in its radical form has really triumphed. And I think it's actually really confusing to women because you, you have to answer the, que answer the question, what am I hanging on to? Am I hanging on to that the occult? Am I hanging on to um, free love? Am I hanging on to smashing the patriarchy, which of course the the patriarchy. So those are the three things. And if I mean something different than those things, then I, I think, you know, women can maintain this, the title, but they have to be super specific about it. This is exactly what I mean by, by feminist. Um, because otherwise you just get, and you lead, really can lead people astray. Um, again, I think the instinct was was one of sympathy and trying to really cr build bridges and sort of help women see that there's a different way out of um, the culture that we've created for women. Um, but I think it's really dangerous. And I think it's also interesting to look at, like, what have other ideologies, how have we won them over? You know, do we start saying, well, we're Catholic communists so that we could win communists? You know, you, you sort of realize, like, that doesn't really work. And why are we doing that in the first place? Because Catholicism really has the answers that we need, um, certainly much more so than than an ideology does. And I don't think we need the word to make the claim that we're pro-woman. I think, um, you know, if anything, it just has really confused people. So that's my short, short answer. So kind of along those lines, how do you see us coming back from this feminism's scorched earth? And do you see us coming back? And if so, what are some glimmers of hope, maybe, if there are? <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I, I have a lot of hope. I think that you know, the one thing that has been really fascinating to me is to see that feminism has not only defined itself, but it has defined those who are against it um, by making us look silly, ignorant, frumpy, dowdy, yeah. <laughs> you know, dowdy, wearing red robes and bonnets and belonging to a fertility cult. Like they've been genius in that respect. Like if there's, you know, something happens and they just march out the red robe women. Um so I, I think that there's a lot of hope because there's so many women who have just been kind of sitting back looking and going, this doesn't feel right. There's something not right about this. And I, actually, I just wrote about this, you know, the, the Barbie movie, I, I feel like was really an effort 
to get a new generation because you look at how old the most of the women are that are involved have been involved in feminism. I mean, Gloria Steinem's, I think she's in her upper 80s. I can't right. remember exactly what year. Hillary Clinton, or Nancy Pelosi, yeah, I could just go down the list. Yeah. Yeah. Diane Feinstein, you know, um, even Madonna is something like 68, I think. So someone should tell her. I think that there's. <laughs> So I think that they're really trying to get a new generation of Gen X and below moms and women engaged up through this movie. Um, but I, I'm see, I think we can see a lot of hope in just women, again, who are wising up to it and just saying, look, this isn't making us happy. Um, and, the, and the metrics all show that, that feminism has not made us happier. Um, and they're just open to thinking about something different and they're finding, you know, finding something fresh. And that's really what I have. One of the things I've tried to do with Theology of Home are both our blog and then the books that we published is to just to pro provide a, a different model of womanhood um, that, that, you know, I, when I was researching the anti-Mary Exposed, I just was clear, crystal clear to me that women have been destroyed through these mediums that we love. Um, we love magazines. We love fashion industry. We love books and daytime TV, you know, all of this. But why can't we start presenting this kind of material, but with our own messaging in it? And um, so that's what we've done with Theology of Home with, you know, beautiful pictures, um, certainly with our blog. I mean, ideally, I would love to have a much greater reach and do different, you know, kinds of projects with it. Um, we do have a TV series that that we're actively working on. But um, how exciting. Yeah, but it's really, um, it's just, an, it's incredibly challenging because I think a lot of times we think of these things as very fluffy and unimportant. And in fact, these are the the parts that, you know, people, women are watching, you know, when you're in labor and delivery. It's know. not nothing <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah, no, no, this is where, where we spend so much of our time and attention. And we've got to start, you know, clawing some of that back and, and really presenting a new model of, of, what women are meant to be instead of, you know, this feminist shriveled vision that they've been offering us. Thank you so much. And for all of your work, um, especially with Theology of Home over the years and with this particular book, I am I know it was not easy to research and write. Um, yeah, I, as a mom who takes a lot of my time is spent in very dark places here in journalism, I can totally sympathize with that. But it must be done. And thank you so much for doing it. And I would encourage everyone listening or watching to go and pre-order. The book comes out, is it August 15th? Is that August 15th. Yes, yep. the Feast yep. of the Assumption. What a perfect day, of course. I'm sure that was planned. <laughs> Not by me. That's but, excellent. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Carrie. And um, we hope to see you back at Libcast. Thank you, Erica. Thank you.